Well, good morning and welcome. If we have not met, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And as, as you have found out already, I'm sure this is the last weekend of our sermon series we've been calling Double Blessing, and it corresponds with Commitment Sunday. So if you weren't aware of that, we have commitment cards in the bulletins and are going to have a special time at the end of the message during the last worship song to invite you down and just lay before God your commitment for the year to help us be good stewards and plan and all that. And I can't begin to list in the time that I've been with y'all just a little over a year in this setting, um, to, I, I'm still not fully aware of what your generosity enables us to do because of how expansive and the reach of this church and all the church that this does, not only to do some of the simple things that we overlook, um, like turn the heating and air on, but just the amazing the amazing ministries like our special needs ministry, whether it's a night to shine prom, all the kids and what they're doing in students and children's ministry. And, and the, there's just so many things um, that I wanna spend some time revolve. I think the message this morning for me this week really revolves around two words and that's find and finish. And part of this exercise of this sermon series that we've been in called Double Blessing has been an exercise in worship of finding and thanking God for those blessings in our life. And so our gratitude challenge was that, where we were, I asked you um, to specifically write down three things each and every day that you're grateful for and to not repeat those, to make them specific. And, and in doing that, we're kind of cultivating a practice of finding the blessings that God has given us in our life. Because sometimes we just don't do that enough. And we're not conditioned to do it when, when times aren't good. Like in the midst of a, a season of life where maybe we're just bored with where we're at right now in life. Or we're kind of delayed in the move. We've, been, we've hoped by now we should be in this other place in our life, this other stage in our life, this other house. And we're not there yet, wherever there is. We didn't get into the school or the class or we didn't get picked the way we wanted to get picked. Like when, when those things happen to us, when we're living in the midst of a diagnosis that we're not sure what to do with, we're overwhelmed by that. That occupies our attention, our whole perspective. It can be overwhelming. It's not easy for us to, to name and to count our blessings in those times. And yet, yet for us, I think part of what we're called to do, part of what it means in this double blessing series to live a blessed life is to find the blessings when we're not accustomed to find the blessings. Like in the situation and in the circumstances that sometimes we're praying changes, that, that for many of us in those seasons of life, those are the realities, those are the situations and circumstances God is trying to change us. He's trying to use those to change us. If we could just look and find what he's trying to teach us, the grace that is present in those moments. When I moved to Texas, I guess it's been about 16 years ago now, I moved pretty much straight to Waco. And this was before the Magnolia Empire had taken over Waco, Texas, and before you had to pay $20 for a cupcake. It's before all that, you know, that the whole Chip and Joe phenomenon and what they do in flipping houses is sort of a nice illustration for us in our life. Like, you know, this was back in the day when 50, 60 bucks a square foot, I mean, in Waco, 
They, they had this vision to, to see what could be and to see potential. And they could see what other people saw as just a rundown, beat up house. And they saw potential and could flip it and reclaim it. Of course, we are unaware of that concept of, of flipping houses. And yet in our lives, we, we can get overwhelmed in our situation and in our circumstance and we can't often see, we don't choose to see what God is trying to teach us. We don't try to count and find the blessings that he has for us in our life. Because hashtag blessed in our culture so often is a smiley profile picture where we filter away the imperfections. And that's the blessed life. That's what blessing is. But we can't reduce blessing to health and wealth and prosperity. We've talked about our understanding of blessing is so much broader than that, that it's, it's what God gives us to make us more fully satisfied in him, regardless of our situation and circumstance. That even when the times are bad, even then there is an opportunity, there's an opportunity for us to see what God is doing in our midst, the way God is trying to lead us closer to himself, even in those times. Jesus's brother, James, says for us, like in every, in every situation, I count it all joy. I count it all joy in all kinds of trials and tribulations and circumstances, He'll say again that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Paul will remind us, you've heard this verse, I know over and over and over again in your life that God is working all things for your good, for those who are called according to his purpose, not in some things, not in some times where things are relatively easy, where the income stream and flow is good, when, when the decisions are, are being made relatively smoothly in your life, but in all things, in all times, in all circumstances, God is working in our midst. God is working for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So even in those things that are happening that aren't of God <laughs> and that aren't good, there's blessing to be found. And a, a man who does this so well, I think for us in scripture is Joseph. In the early chapters of the gospel of Matthew. We see the beginning of Jesus's life, not through Mary's perspective like we do in the gospel of Luke, but through Joseph's perspective. And here's how the beginning of Matthew reads for us in chapter one, verses 18 to 21. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about Joseph and what he might be thinking and his responses and, and sort of what's, why does he respond this way? What's, what's he thinking about? I mean, I mean, Joseph, in this kind of circumstance and reality, this is very embarrassing and, and humiliating for him. Does he think, does he think maybe Mary could have cheated on him? It's possible, but he probably knows her well enough to know that's not the case. 
and that he does know and he, he does have this conviction already here that this is a miracle that he doesn't really understand, but it seems like he's not to play a direct role in it. So his response is, is remarkable because there's self-restraint. He does not want Mary to go through any kind of public disgrace. And so he's gonna step outside of the story, it seems as, as though he intends to step out, that maybe God doesn't have a plan for him directly in this. In this kind of humiliating and embarrassing situation for him, he sees like his feelings what, what he thinks about this is kind of secondary ultimately to the grand and amazing purpose that God is, is working through here. And so we see in Joseph step back, but then the angel comes to him and says, no, don't be afraid. I have work for you to do. I have a job for you to do. So in the midst of this of this circumstance, Joseph finds this blessing of God at work, doing something he can't even comprehend yet at this stage. He finds blessings in a situation that is embarrassing, and that's humiliating. And so our challenge throughout this series, our challenge as we leave this series are to continue to cultivate habits of finding God's blessings in our life. To continue to do that. But it isn't enough for us just to find what God is doing and to find those blessings in our life. We have to finish the work that he's doing in our life. And so we lifted up the quote from Dr. Mark Batterson who says God's blessing isn't to raise our standard of, of living. God blesses us in our life to raise our standard of giving. And so it is in this step towards sanctification, this step toward growing and maturity in Christ, not only finding the blessings in our life, but finishing the work that God has given us in our life that is crucial for us. And so to explore what this looks like for us, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Paul is, is going through a... Uh, he's, he's raising money and he's, he's going through churches um, for a particular purpose. So we go through capital campaigns and we go through these cycles every year where we want you to know all that the church is doing and we want, we want it all as a, as a shared effort to commit ourselves for the year. And that isn't a new thing. That Paul here, we see one of the very early campaigns that Paul is going around to raise awareness for a very particular purpose. So I want us to keep that in mind as we read these verses that start chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So think Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica, churches in those kinds of those cities. In the midst of of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. So, so far this campaign is going, going well. As he's traveled around, he wants to encourage the Corinthian church that so far there's been great success, that, that even, even in the midst of not having a lot of means, even in the midst of severe poverty, I want you to know what God is doing in the church, that, he, that despite the circumstance and situation that isn't good, they are richly generous. For I testify 
that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. There is a kind of earnestness and eagerness that these churches have in giving and wanting to be part of the mission, of this kingdom mission. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made, had, had made a beginning to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. So they're aware of this. This has already been taking place and Titus is to follow up with them. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So there's no separation there. There's no hierarchy of values or hierarchy of virtues here. Like when it comes to this fruit of the spirit and earnestness and faith and knowledge, all these things, I want you to excel in the grace of giving just like you excel in all these other things. It brings to mind that quote from Martin Luther that we lifted up last week where Martin Luther said, we, we all need three conversions. We need a conversion of the mind, we need a conversion of the heart, and we need a conversion of the wallet. Because we, we often, the disconnect is often in our generosity. Now, verse eight, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that through you, through, so, that, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So there's this movement. We, we hear this again in Philippians. Paul will say, Christ, who is rich in glory, rich in status, rich in position, equal with the Father, all loving, all powerful, comes and puts on flesh and becomes a slave for us, takes on poverty, becomes poor for us. And that the movement of the gospel is, is from on high to our level to then ascend again in glory. And the same movement Paul is lifting up here, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So Paul is saying a lot here. And, and part of what's amazing about what Paul is saying is there's a lot of issues the church is dealing with. I mean, one issue the church is dealing with, you, you might think it's crazy for us to be doing a capital campaign when we're doing a capital campaign and to talk about co commitment to the general budget of this church in addition to the capital campaign when we are. There's all kinds of reasons. 
in our culture, in our world for you to question, like, why now? Like, that sounds great. Like, I'm all in, but, but why now? We need, there's all kinds of reasons, right, we could probably think of that we could maybe question it. And the same is true of Paul. Like, why now? I mean, in the midst of all the kind of persecution that the church is dealing with, like, it seems like insurmountable odds that they're up against, the church in Jerusalem is being persecuted, is struggling. Like Paul is going around to these churches to try to help them understand the dire need of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now that the church is spreading out to the ends of the earth and growing in like cities like Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica, these Macedonian churches and other places, he sees this desperate need. And also... There's still this fundamental issue and question that's being worked out in the church that for us, we, because of our historical distance from it, it's hard for us to understand. But, but, but they're still working out the issue of like becoming a follower of Jesus, like to call oneself a Christian. Is this a one-step process or a two-step process? Like, like for Paul, Paul receives this amazing vision on the road to Damascus and goes from being a persecutor of the church, from dragging men and women outside and persecuting the church, trying to actively destroy the church. He moves from being Saul to Paul to becoming its most faithful and bold and brave apostle to the ends of the earth. But that process, that conversion process, is that a one-step process or a two-step process? Like, like for someone like Paul, can he just say Jesus is Lord and, and just worship and, and, and orient the worship service and the worship life of the community around that proclamation? Or does Paul still remain who he is, fundamentally a Jew? who practices the law, is obedient to the law. And, and, then, and then the question is like, okay, so the Paul, someone like Paul, who, who moves from being part of Judaism, he's, his conversion and his understanding of that conversion doesn't change his background and his history, right? It's, he understands who he is. And for many like Paul, who are from within Judaism and become followers of Jesus, they don't, they don't become something else. This is all still within the stream of Judaism. But, but what, about, what about people who have a very different background, who, who worship in many, 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 many gods, and are kind of okay with, they were okay with bowing the knee to Caesar and all of that, right? So you've got people with a very, very different background. And how are we supposed to live together? Like, can we be part of the same church? Like, we don't eat the same foods. We not only don't eat the same foods, but we can't have table fellowship together. We don't associate with each other. And so Paul's going around to these churches and he's asking for money. He's asking for money for the kingdom to benefit the brothers and sisters in a very different place who might not welcome them to their table. Because... <laughs> All of these issues are still being worked out and we see from our vantage point how the, how the end of this plays out that, that for Paul, Paul adamantly believes that it's a one-step process. 
It is Jesus is Lord and our life revolves around Christ is Lord. And for those who come into the faith in Jesus from Judaism, there isn't an abandonment of that heritage and that way of life and that culture but their life doesn't revolve around the law to the same way because the law has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And so you've got, you've got these open questions and these open issues and Paul is going around and he's trying to encourage this church in Corinth to say, look, like so far, you, you, I mean, it's like Paul saying, you can only preach this so much. You can only tell people so much. And that this, this kind of generosity is a living witness and a living testimony that with the death of Christ, the walls that we erect to divide ourselves have been brought down. In the death of Christ, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, division dies. That there's no more slave or free. There's no more male nor female, Greek nor Jew. These categories of class and race and borders that we create between us, they all come down. And it will take some time for the church to work this out, for them to understand. But it just goes to show how ingrained this is. Someone like the apostle Peter who followed Jesus and was close to Jesus more than any of the other disciples who who through Acts, rises to proclaim the gospel as the early church is formed. Someone like Peter, Paul has to continue to call out because Peter sort of backslides and, and finds himself uh, not eating with Gentiles after he has an, a remarkable vision from the Lord about showing everything that God has made is clean. Every person that God has made are, are made in his image. And so this idea of table fellowship and what to eat and who to fellowship with, like those, those barriers and those walls no longer exist. And it's, it's tough, tough for us to grasp that going on. There's so, there's so much happening and there's so many questions in the, in the body of believers that we aren't always privy to. And yet Paul boldly asks and encourages them. This work, this work, you're accustomed to this work. You've already done this work. Now complete the work. I want you to finish the work that has been started in you by the means that you have. And I love when Peter's asked at the beginning of Acts, he's asked for money and Peter says, gold or silver I do not have, but what I do have I will give. Give out of your means. And he tells this, this lame beggar to, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so fundamentally, as we wrap up this sermon series, a conviction, a, a, an essential practice of being a disciple of Jesus is generosity. With our money, with our life, with our energy, with our time, to have the spirit that, that Peter has to give when asked. We read last week in, in the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, God wants to equip us so that we can be generous in every occasion for however we are called to give. <laughs> he, that's what God wants to work out in our life. And so in a minute, 
I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a final worship song, and I'm going to invite you as the Lord leads you to come and put your commitment card. Uh, for me and Lindsay today, I'm, I'm solo because we got a sick baby, but I'm going to invite you to come and put your commitment card down, and if you haven't had time to work that out, um, please do so in, in the next week or two. Um, but we're going to just take some time to sit before God in prayer and to worship. And I just, I just want in your own life as an act of self-reflection to, again, think about, think about what your generosity and what the generosity of the person sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you has enabled this church to do. And how has that impacted your life? And I, I want you to think about this too, that... What our generosity does, it is again a living testimony of the amazing grace and work that God has done in our lives, is doing in our lives, and will do in our life. Like it's in a lot of ways a completion of the gospel. Because what we do when we give, we understand goes beyond. It goes beyond what we can comprehend. And it's, it's being faithful and obedient to the commitment that we've made to God, that initial enthusiasm isn't enough in our life for many things. Like I have a banjo, and it has a lot of dust on the case. Uh, about 10 years ago, I got really pumped up, and I just wanted to I really wanted to learn how to play the banjo. And I bought a banjo for dummies book and I've never taken a lesson. And I can't even do bum 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 like I can't do I can do that with my mouth. I cannot do that with my fingers. I can't. Like that initial enthusiasm totally waned. Right? It it isn't what we do in our walk with the Lord. <laughs> Generosity like initial, initial enthusiasm isn't enough. I love this quote um, from a great biblical scholar and theologian, N.T. Wright. He says this, and I think we can all uh, say yes and amen to this. With almost everything worthwhile, there comes a moment when the initial energy drains away. The novelty of the project has worn off and you have to make up your mind to go on despite the fact that at the moment it isn't any fun anymore. <laughs> and yet things that are worthwhile, like our marriages, our commitment to God, our relationship with our kids and our friends and our family, our role and responsibility in the calling that God has, has given us to serve here, all of these things, initial enthusiasm will fade away. But our commitments, our commitments remind us that regardless, regardless of how we feel today, if it's fun or not fun today, this is who we are. And that despite how we feel, that God is active and is still using us for our good, for his glory. To share the gospel and to transform the world on earth as it is in heaven. So the ongoing challenge we each face 
is every commitment of our lives is to finish, finish, finish the work. Every commitment that we've made to finish the work. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, we have plenty. And with all that we have, God, remind us and help us cultivate ways in our life to understand that without you, we're poor. We have nothing. And that all that we are and all that we have is, is a remarkable and amazing and indescribable gift that you've given us. And you want us to understand that so much that you came, you came to show us and you suffered for us. And you died and you rose and you ascended on high, rich again in might and glory and power and grace. So that we could understand that we belong to you. So that we could understand that we're actually one that there are no walls between us. The barrier's been broken in Jesus' name. By the cross, it is finished. So God, we understand and help us understand that our giving, our generosity is an act where we are saying and believing we are one. Because there are there are things that our money goes to that we don't understand. People we don't even know. And God, we know in all of it, we are equal before you. And so God, in this time, help us, help us receive your grace because we know it is in us, it is for us, but this work that you've called us to is that through us, we might be your hands and feet. We might be your grace and your mercy in the world. That your generosity isn't just in us and for us, it is through us. So in our lives, we humbly submit to you, God, and surrender all things. And we ask that you bless the commitments that are made here today in Jesus' name. Amen.